Well, thank you so much. Would you grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Joshua chapter number one? Well, I don't know where to give you complete uh, revelation of it or not, but we're going to be spending the next 15 Sundays in the book of Joshua. So if you don't like the Old Testament, well, I don't know what else to say to follow that. (laughs) But as we go into this enormous study, God has been leading me here for several months, and I think there are some things that he wants to communicate through us through this incredible book. Now today, just as an introduction to the first of 15 messages in the book of Joshua, I want to remind you that our New Testament gives us some incredible principles and truths. Our Old Testament often provides us pictures for those truths. So as you and I head into the book of Joshua, I want you to know in a very simplistic way, there are gonna be some incredible overarching application that just slaps us, that's obvious. But what I really want us to get to uh, through these months, August, September, October, and the first part of November, are these truths about different segments of our life. Joshua, if there's any book of the Bible that speaks into all the different segments of a life, because here you have a group of people, some that, are, that die in the wilderness, another generation coming in, and as they are reared up and raised up, there are all kinds of different challenges. And when I look around this sanctuary today, especially for those that we would call members, I see people in all different segments of life. Just a moment ago, we looked back here at Daniel. Did you see how he just gloated when his new little baby daughter came up on that screen? I I, I mean, they're in a special place, aren't they? And just a few minutes before announcing that stood a man right here that has served multiple generations, service to the Lord. Mr. Maxey's in a whole different place in life. But even though they are both in great places in life, they also experience different challenges. A student that's right here before me today has a complete different set of challenges than maybe one of our senior adults do. And so I'm very excited as we walk into these incredible chapters one by one to look at them in a special way and see how they tie into these life segments. Now, most of you are aware that in our Bibles, uh, it is often that we find a comparison of what we call the Red Sea experience and the Jordan River. In fact, when we think about the Red Sea experience, when it comes to just our Bible, our Old Testament as a big picture, uh, this Red Sea experience so often is compared to us coming to Christ. Because just as the Israelites, after a little over 400 years, escaped bondage out of slavery, bondage, and darkness, you and I could lay our lives down in a similar fashion and say there was a point in time, uh, or I hope most of us can today, and say we came to Christ and came out of this sense of bondage and darkness. But then there's the Jordan River experience that really goes side by side with that, which so oftentimes really represent in our life the fullness of salvation. 
And so often you see commentators take those two incidents, here's the Red Sea, people coming out of bondage, here's the Jordan River, and those two they would liken that, here's salvation with the Red Sea, here's the fullness of salvation, the potential that God has called you to. In fact, if we go back to that Red Sea experience, out of the bondage and darkness, really out of the Red Sea experience, we, we, we get our covenant of the Lord's Supper. You say, well, that came out of the New Testament. But if you look back, those people celebrated the Passover, didn't they? That was the element. From, from that year on, every year on the anniversary date of them exiting across the Red Sea, they had that Passover. Out of our New Testament, we look back each and every time we gather around a table of communion. And it's out of that experience that we have a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really looking backward. But the Jordan, the Jordan is all about looking to the future. The Jordan is all about a victorious Christian life. I love Deuteronomy chapter six and verse 23. I want you to hear this incredible phrase. Deuteronomy 6, 23. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and to give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Two stages. He brought us out and stage number two, he brings us in. You know, when you think about the Jordan and the Red Sea experience, I think we all, don't we, agree that there was, well, this uh, wilderness experience that kind of stood in their way. And by the way, it was a legitimate wilderness experience. We'll talk about that at the end of our message today. There was a time of wandering that these children of God needed. I mean, hey, they had no law. They had no training. They had been brick makers for 400 years. To turn them loose into a battle situation, to turn them loose without some time to get acclimated would have been deadly to a million and a half or two million people. It would have been chaos. And so God says, hey, you're gonna wander for a period. But what we also know is they wandered much longer probably than God intended. There was rebellion. There was a lack of faith. And so there was also a side of that that was kind of an illegitimate wandering that really elongated the experience probably much longer, obviously, than God had ever attended. But you know, I'm telling you, out of every negative of life, that, those negatives of life provide us with an opportunity of true appreciation of the many positives, don't they? Every negative that occurs in our life really makes us a little bit happier, a little bit more receptive, a little more exciting about the many positives. I mean, how could you ever appreciate the, the incredible vital days of youth without walking through some days, well, on the other end of things? I mean, how could you ever experience the great days of health without walking through some dark days of the others. And so as we walk today, I just want to give you three words as a foundation. That's all we're going to have time to do today is build a foundation. I'm going to build it out of Joshua 1 just as an introduction. But there's going to be three key words that I want you to focus with me today uh, because we're going to need these three tools 
as we go into this series. We don't want to go into this series without mastering and understanding these three essentials. Now, some of you in that Old Testament and that, and that six minutes and eight seconds that I just shared, you already have drifted off into la-la land. Do you want me to point at you? So what I'm going to ask you to do now is come back to me. Three words in three statements that are going to be essential to us. Jot these down. Here we go. Number one, we need to be able to ascertain the goal. In other words, the purpose of the victorious Christian life. It's important today that you and I establish something before we ever enter this series. What is the real goal of God saving us? Why did that happen? Why have we experienced that? How do we know what the purpose, the true purpose of the victorious Christian life is? And let's be honest, most people, if we surveyed you today, would walk out of our sanctuary and say, well, that's obvious, Pastor. Now we don't go to hell, but we have the opportunity to go to what? To heaven. Salvation brings us a, a long way from hell and a lot closer to the experience of heaven. And if you come into this place, certainly that's true. Eternal life does bring us this incredible consummation of covenant with Jesus forever, for eternity out there. There's no question about that. But what I want you to understand is that's not the chief purpose of why God saves you. And that's not what the Bible says of why God truly saves you. Listen to Ephesians chapter one and verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, listen, to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. Listen to Romans chapter eight and verse 29. He also predestined to be conformed, each of us to be conformed to what? To the image of his son. Do you understand that the primary purpose of your salvation is that it allows God to shape, to mold, to build, to create some special things in your life and in my life. What God is about is recreating the very image of Jesus in us. Now, if we're all honest today, and I know on Sunday mornings in the Baptist church, there's not too many people that wanna be very honest. And, 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 and if we're all really honest, we would say amen to that, but we're not going to say amen to that. But you know, the truth is this. God desires to do a very something very special in us. But there are many times we don't really look like that reflection. All of us have experienced that. And because of that, it makes us often to understand that when we start to get the picture that we are to be God's vehicle of his will carried out in terms of ministry to the people around us, it intimidates us. Because every one of us, our lives are filled with missteps. There are times that we let our Lord down. There are times that we fail. We're embarrassed. Some of us say statements that are so bold. I, I look at some faces right here this morning. You've made such crazy statements. Now you don't know how to back out of it. I mean, it's like, I, I wish I could reverse it, but I, I, what do I say now? 
And because of those kind of moments, it puts us in a very precarious situation. God wants to do something special, number one, in our lives. Yes, there's eternal life. Yes, salvation is special. Yes, that's at the heart of the gospel message. But you understand, that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is that God wants to shape us, and he wants us to bring us into holiness. He wants us to be an expression of his character. Let me tell you something. God desires to extend himself just like we all do. I, I haven't asked Daniel yet. He was standing. I, I just loved his expression. But if I were to pull Daniel aside here in a moment and say, Daniel, what are you most excited about with your new baby girl? I bet his number one answer is not, oh, I'm going to get to change 738 diapers over the next 18 months. I think his answer is probably going to be, hey, pastor, children are a blessing of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that all of us want, to, want some things going on in our lives that will extend ourselves? None of us want to come to planet Earth and just disappear without a trace. Many times we trust our children to be a part of that legacy, to be a part of that after we're gone. Hey, they'll, they're going to remain. They'll be able to tell their children and their children, their children about their grandpa, about their great-grandpa. And, and, and so all of us have that desire. And there's no question that God in extending himself wants to take each one of us as an extension of who he is and to mold and shape us. Aren't you excited that our Bible teaches us that that for sure is gonna happen upon our death? You get over to 1 Corinthians 15, God is already doing that now, we'll get to that in just a moment, but he's gonna consummate that upon our death. You remember in 1 Corinthians 15, twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden, God is gonna what? He's gonna take the corruptible and we're gonna become what? Incorruptible. The mortal is gonna take on what? Immortality. We're, we're gonna see that happen. But have you ever known and ever recognized scripturally that that's going on right now? Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 3.18. He said, and being transformed into his image, the ever-increasing glory. The King James says, you're going from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord. And it's literally rendered there from glory to glory. Bit by bit, God is changing us. Aren't you excited about that? That is a wonderful truth. You and I need to understand that God created us not just for eternal life, but God put us on a mission to accomplish things, to help him what? Be an extension, to be his hands and feet to a community that so desperately needs that. So we can't go anywhere into Joshua without understanding there's a goal that you and I have got to put our hands around. In fact, our New Testament spends so much of the text of our New Testament trying to bring that to an understanding, that goal concept. Hebrews 12.10 says, we're to be partakers, partakers of holiness. Peter describes it this way. He says, be ye holy as God is holy, 1 Peter 1.16. Old John, he gets after it in his writing. He says, hey, Jesus is pure. Just as Jesus is pure, you need to purify yourselves, 1 John 3, 3. Our New Testament is littered with that concept. So let you and I embrace, first of all today, the goal.
The goal is to yield ourselves. This pilgrimage of the Christian life is not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about our preferences. It's not about the things that we desire. It's about extending his kingdom and being more like Jesus and experience the holiness that God intends us to experience. Say an amen. Second G word. I think we've got the goal. Let's talk about this second very important thing. And that is that you and I have got to get where we appreciate the gift of this victorious Christian life. It's a gift. Understand that word. Now grab your Bibles and let's look in Joshua chapter one. I want you to notice a couple of passages. Go down to verse number three. We'll get more into chapter one next week. But I want you to see Joshua chapter one and let's read together verse number three. God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I want you to notice that important phrase. I will give you every place where you set your foot. Some of you are very familiar over there in the sixth chapter. We, we come to that great Jericho chapter. We'll, we'll get there in a month and a half or so. But over in Jericho chapter six, look in verse number two. The Bible says this, another interesting statement. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And he says, along with the king, I've delivered him. Along with all the fighting men, I've delivered them. Incredible statement. We start to get to the picture early in Joshua that God is gonna give them some very special help along the way. He's gonna give them a gift of victory. You and I need to start adopting that understanding into our lives. God as a gift makes a way for us in our challenge to be holy. One of my favorite places in the whole book of Joshua is you get over there in Joshua chapter two. And I think it's down there around verse nine, isn't it? Over in Joshua two, verse nine, the spies are caged up inside, uh, inside a fortified city and they're relying on the trust of all things of a prostitute. Her name is Rahab. And Rahab says something over there in the middle of chapter two, around verse 9, 10, and 11. She says, hey, 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 guys, you may think I'm surprised by you being here. You may think that I'm surprised by what you're telling me that there's gonna be an onslaught of Israelite people to overcome this whole fortress that we set in today. But she says, I'm not surprised about that at all. And she goes on to say, 40 years ago, we started hearing. We, these pagan, non-God-following people, started hearing 40 years ago about a group of people that were on this way, that were wandering in a nomadic way, and how God was delivering you one battle after another. And she says that, I just throw on the brakes and am appalled and I think, wow, isn't it something that many people that don't even believe in God have more confidence in God's ability than many people that do believe in God. And you and I have got to understand something that's very important. That is, we have the opportunity, God's power, his ability, this higher standard that he calls us to, many times we have the opportunity to be what? 
to be those that exhibit God's incredible power. But many times our faith is so short that we're, we're fearful in our own hearts to exhibit and to take a stand and to be positive about the incredible power of God. You know, spiritual birth and physical birth really have a lot in common, don't they? I mean, when we're born spiritually, you understand we're born with everything that we need. Just like I don't know how Daniel handled that. Becky and I were blessed with just one child. But the first thing I, I checked at that time, it was just Good Shepherd Hospital, is I just wanted to see, are there 10 fingers and 10 toes? I really wasn't concerned about how much hair Amber had or how big or long she was. I just wanted to be sure everything was there and functioning. Wanted to be sure that mama was okay. Maybe Daniel's the same way. Maybe Daniel will be glad not to be a sermon illustration next week. Amen? <laughs> but you do understand, don't you? That in Christ, you're born with everything you need. Now, granted, her little limbs, she may not immediately be able to navigate and grab things, and then when she does, they'll probably be glad, <laughs> sad that she is able to grab certain things. And then she gets a little older, she won't be able to walk immediately. But everything's there for her to walk. And that's encouraging. It's encouraging because you and I have everything we need. It's appropriating all these wonderful things that God has blessed us with. Are you able, let me give you a good East Texas word here, to hunker down around this G word right here, a gift? Aren't you thankful for what God has given us? Man, we ought to be thankful. In Christ, God has given us the greatest gift and gifts than anyone could ever imagine. And we need to celebrate that. We need to appropriate that. It's so very important. And number three, quickly, let's get this last word. Appropriate the resources. Now, when I say this, you're gonna say, wait now, are you contradicting yourself? Appropriating the resources to gain what is necessary for the victorious Christian life. Now, now, now let that statement just soak in for a moment. Before you jump to conclusions, it's really, it's really not a contradiction at all. God gifts us and gives us this salvation, but he also expects there's certain things that we've got to gain. In other words, there's certain things we've got to do. Somebody the other day said, Pastor, why do you talk so much about your personal devotional life? Because that is my very time every single day that I don't have to do any sermon preparation. I don't have to write any books. I don't have to wrestle any problems. I get to just sit down and open the word of God and just soak in it for a few moments. I don't have to alliterate. I don't have to worry about a time schedule. I don't have to worry about props or, the, or illustrations. I can just soak in it. About two or three, maybe three weeks ago, my personal devotional time, and. I want you to turn there with me. It was over in Matthew chapter 11. Turn over there and scroll down to verse 28 because I want you to see these verses again fresh with me. Do you remember these verses? Matthew 11, 
verses 28 and 29. When we start to read them, you're going to say, oh, yes, I know those verses. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me. Now you're able to say the rest of it, aren't you? All you who are what? All you who are weary. All you who are what? Burdened. Now listen to this statement. And I will give you rest. You see that? There's the gift. Now keep reading. We're not done. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, if you don't hear anything else that I share with you this morning, get this principle somewhere in your notes. You see, we've got to understand this rest has a twofold promise, doesn't it? There's the things that are given and there's the things that we've got to take. There's things that are taken. Look at that. When you come to Christ, look at what he says in verse 28. Come to me and I will give you rest. There's what he's giving. Given. In other words, when we come to Christ, there's certain things he gives. But look at the second part of that. There's the taken side. Coming after Christ then there is the obligation, there's the responsibility for us to gain certain things. Yes, we have a gift, but there's also the mandate on our lives to gain certain things. Did, did Jesus not do that with the disciples? Come on, put your thinking caps on. You remember what he said initially to the disciples? Come to me, didn't he? There was the gift. Come to me, consummate a relationship with me. I'm gonna give you this, this salvation. I'm gonna give you this covenant, this relationship. I'm gonna give that to you. I've, I've paid a, I'm about to pay a price for that on the cross and, and, and I wanna I want give that to you. But then right after that, Jesus said, come after me or come what? Follow me. And there's the part that they have to take, the responsibility you see, the rest is earned, essentially. We find it, and there's a deeper rest. And the, the, the concept is very important. I, I was thinking the other day, somebody was so excited, they told me about the water fountains are now open at the church. They said, we appreciate the bottle of water for the last year and a half, but we're glad the water fountains. Somebody else comes along and says, nobody's going to use the water fountains. Nobody's going to use the water fountains. Just turn them off. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll leave them on. But anyway, I, I was just wondering, thinking about that water fountain, if, if I were to go, Hagen, and I would just stand by that water fountain and look at it and say, hey, will you give me a drink of water? Maybe I could get on my knees and pray that it would give me a drink of water. And somebody's gonna come through with that East Texas Ingenuity and said, Pastor, if you'd walk over there and put your hand on it and push where it says push and lean down and open your lips, you can get, you can get a drink of water. Do you understand the important concept here? That it is a gift that God gives us. But there's also this element that must be gained. You know, it's interesting. As we get into Joshua, 
the, God's going to say, Joshua, I've given you the land. And then he's going to come back and he's going to say, but you've got to what? You've got to take it. You've got to walk over it. Quickly, God does this in two ways. We gain through two mechanisms. First of all, this gain that God calls us to gain, the, the things that we've got to take, the things we've got to walk over, only come to us, first of all, by obedience. Very important, only by obedience. You want me to show you a little nugget that there's probably not a, well, we got 300 people, 200 people in here, I don't know. I bet not three people know this. Not three in the little circle. Look in Joshua 1.6 and 1.7. When we read that first chapter in Joshua, many people think, hey, God's kind of in this repetitive mode. You get over there in verse number six, he says, be strong and what? And courageous. You come to verse seven, and it almost sounds, if we didn't know better, and most of us at this point don't know better, but you're going to know better, God says, be strong, but now here, almost every translation has something, one word added. And be very courageous. You want to know why that word very is added? Because that is a different Hebrew word. That word courageous in verse 6 in the English, that's courageous to us. That word courageous in verse 7, that's courageous to us. But in the Hebrew language, two totally different words. And what I want you to understand is this. In verse number 6, that word really is a Hebrew word that talks about physical courage. Hey, dude, you got to be strong. You're about to have battle after battle. You're about to go through six, seven years of incessant war. <laughs> and it's not going to be easy. You're going to have internal problems. These people are going to go back across the river. They're going to whine. You're going to have opposition issues. Man, you're going to fight some folks that this is not their first tussle. You gotta be physically strong. You gotta be physically courageous. But when you come to verse seven, that word is a whole different word in the Hebrew, I mean, a whole different Hebrew word. There the courage is not so much used in the physical sense, but it's a different kind of courage and it's a deeper courage. Let me give you an example. My second favorite character in all the Bible was a bow-headed, ball-headed man that cussed all the time. Not because I like that. Had big hands. His name was Peter. You take Peter. Jesus says, hey, Pete, would you do one thing for me here in the garden, Pete? Would you pray with me and watch over me as I pray for one hour? Jesus looks over there in a few moments, and what was Peter doing? And we get that incredible statement. Well, I guess the spirit's willing, but the flesh not capable of doing it. You take old Peter a little later, he's standing over a fire and a little girl calls out, hey, 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 you're one of them. You're one of those Jesus, you're one of those Christos people, one of those Christ followers. I've seen you with him. And you remember Peter warming his hands right there said, hey, I don't even know that man. Why would you accuse me of that? But yet... You let a whole group 
of militant fighters come in and try to arrest Jesus and Peter's the first one that whips out the sword and chops off ears. You explain that phenomenon to me. Physically courageous, but yet the courage to obey and to do God's will. Peter is a mere mortal and he crumbles at the very challenge of fulfilling what God had called him to do. You see, there's many of us here. Don't shrink away. There's many of us here. Now, hey, we're the first ones to be the worker bees. We're the doers. We're the physical, courageous ones. But when it comes to Joshua 1.8 and obeying and meditating on God's word and completing his will as he calls us to, hey, it takes a special kind of courage to be obedient to that. Maybe we'll get to it in Joshua 1.8. It says, keep the book of law always on your lips. It's, it's really the word of, of a constant, a constant humming. Always keep humming God's word. Always keep recycling God's word. Let it be there at the tip of your heart and the tip of your lips. Keep meditating on it day and night because you're gonna need a special kind of courage. You and I are about to go on a little journey together and it'll be a challenge. But I don't expect anything less. Every day is a challenge. Understand how do we take what God is offering us, the gift, how do we gain it? We gain it first by obedience. Let me share this with you. But we also gain it through conflict. Quickly, Joshua 1.14, the Bible says this, hey, your wives, your children, and your livestock, they can stand over, they can stay over here in the land of Moses. They can stay on the east side, but watch this statement, Joshua 1.14. But all of your fighting men, they've gotta be ready for battle. They must cross over ahead of the Israelites, the fellow Israelites. It, that may not be a big statement to you, but when you go back and you look at what God did from Exodus 13, 17 on, in Exodus 13, 17, 18, 19, 20, God gives Moses the route that God's children are gonna take once they get away from Pharaoh. Now, yesterday, my wife and I went on a little trip and you ask her after church today, men, you need to be more like me in this. I made a wrong turn and admitted it. <laughs> now, I could have had a dog and pony, but I just had to suck it up and say, hey, you're right, babe. You and that phone, that little gadget you got over there are probably a little smarter than I am on this navigation. And so I just had to tell her, hey, we turned around quickly and headed another direction. Well, Anybody, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out from Red Sea to Promised Land, lay a ruler down and take the first straightest line. But to do that, you got to go through a number of strategic places like the land of the Philistines. And that's not the only hotbed of activity. And so God began to direct his people a different route. I want you to go over here. I want you to go into this desert. I'm gonna put you in a time of wandering. 
you do know that God often has a legitimate wandering for us all. His purpose, his intention. Y'all need some organization, God says. Have you ever thought about this? All of those years in the desert, they did not fight one battle. Closest thing they had, the Midianites from time to time would come up and they would kill and they would take off the very end, the back end of the Israelite children. Almost two million people wandering around. The sick and the affirmed were at the end. Those old Midianites would come up there and they would kill them and they would take a few things from them at the back. That's the closest they ever came to any battles. Why? Because God's children were not ready for battle. And so when you come to verse 14 in Joshua 1, you see God says, now it's time for battle. You are prepared. And some of you have come to this place this morning and you and I need to have this understood before we get into these next 15 weeks because it's going to be rock'em, sock'em action. There's going to be some moments we're going to say, man, that's just over-the-top gruesome. But we need to understand something. You and I have signed up and cinched up for in a spiritual battle that is not easy. In fact, it would be maybe like some of you come to this place and you say, hey, man, this whole Christian life, man, I've never had this many problems in my life. Be like pulling an army sergeant aside and saying, hey, you spent 21 years in the mess hall. Three years ago, they sent you to the battlefront and now you wonder over these last three years why your life has changed so much and why it's so challenging. Big difference in being in the kitchen. Big difference in wandering around for 40 years and a big difference from going into hand-to-hand combat and battle and you better be prepared for it. I don't know how many of you are hunters. Some of you like to hunt different animals. Some of you in here don't like to kill Bambi, I understand. We have a mixed bag. But some of you that are bird hunters in here, if you have your prized dog, you knock a couple birds out of the air and one of those birds is flapping around, still got a little life in him, the other one's graveyard dead. If your dog is worth its salt, it'll always go to the one flapping around and take care of that one first. Have you ever noticed that Satan always takes aim at the believer that has the most activity? Have you ever noticed that the devil does not bother some of us because we're of no bother to him? Have you ever noticed that a good thief will never rob a bankrupt institution? Satan is the master strategist. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor, my life is under attack, I would say what a great blessing upon your life. You must be doing something in the kingdom. If you're here today and you are walking through something that frontline kind of thing, Maybe you're here today and physically, this, the very, you just feel Satan right there on top of you. I want you to know that that gaining that you and I have got to be able to do on our own strength in Christ doesn't just come from obedience, but it's going to come from conflict.
Ephesians 6 tells us every single day, we better cinch up the armor. Because remember those incredible words? Our battle is not flesh and blood. Our battle is with the power of darkness. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Three very important things that we're gonna need for this journey. First, we've got to come to a place scripturally that we understand that our salvation is so much more than an eternal resting place. It's so much more than a heavenly experience. Father, it's a special call in and on our lives through Jesus Christ himself. A call to be shaped, a call to be molded, a call to move into a a state of holiness. And Father, when that consummation finally comes, when the final trump blows and either you return or you take us out of this world, the gap should be much smaller. The differentiation from perfect sanctification and holiness in the Lord Jesus, resting in him and with him, that even when we're here on earth, that gap should close day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year in our lives. We should become more and more and more and more like Jesus. That should be our heart's cry. That should be our desire. Kindness and gentleness. Consideration of others. And fathers, many of us, rough edges, so much work that needs to be done. But Father, you're doing that work in us. And we want to thank you for that goal, that purpose that you've laid out in God's word. But we also want to thank you for the gift. We want to thank you for for providing us everything that's necessary to accomplish what you desire in our lives. And Father, with our lives and through our lives, we are yours. That's all we are, is just your children. Nothing more, nothing less. Just vessels. And Father, we know that you have a desire for us to be kingdom builders for us to help those around us, all those that we can have an impact on in a spiritual sense, that, 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 that Father, we might be your hands and feet, that people would see who you are through our lives and through our love for you because we are loving on them. But Father, that we might be those that we're willing to gain. Just because you've provided the place for us, we've got to go put our feet on it. We've got to do our part. Father, call us today in our hearts to be people of greater commitment. My goodness, we've got to be people of greater commitment. Father, we can't be people that one group's going over here and another over there. We've got to have a unified body committed to the task, prepared by our Lord to take up our sword and go to battle. So Father, let us be those that might be gainers, that would be conquerors, that would be able to be victorious in the Christian faith. That's what you've created us to be.
Father, would there be someone here today that they are right at that first stage of coming to our Lord to receive the first part, the gift. Come to me, all ye that are heavy laden, all those that are broken, all those that are distraught. Would there be someone here today that's never given their life to the Lord Jesus? They've never surrendered to him by faith, turning from their sin to Jesus for life ahead. Father, would there be someone here today that says, I want to be a part of a church body that will rise up and have community impact and help be a part of community change. Father, as we come to this time of commitment, we ask that you take your word now and that you impart it to each and every heart. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you do so, would you just look this way? Last week, we started back a public invitation. A couple of you didn't approve of that this week. I see an email. But you know what? Uh, God has given us a freedom to have public opportunities for people once again to give their life to Christ. In just a few moments, you're going to see myself and other encouragers, other pastors. They're going to make their way here to the front. And we're going to stand here week after week. It's during this special time each and every week that God lays on some hearts to leave their pew and to come and just kneel on one of these steps or stand on one of the ends down here by one of the instruments just as a special place of prayer. There are also those that will come from time to time and give their life to Christ. This morning, before you ever arrived in this sanctuary, we had two individuals that were going pew by pew, putting their hand on each pew, just praying for whoever ended up there, you in the balcony, praying for those pews, the people that would sit in it. Maybe today, God has just led you to make a response God's moved you. And so I just want you to know week after week, we will be here at the front, available, open, praying for you. Let's sing now this song of commitment as our pastors will be here waiting for you. Josh, lead us. <laughs>